Well, good morning again. Uh, I'm Ben Henderson, the associate pastor here at Calvary. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about anger. Uh, and hopefully, is, is anger something that maybe we can talk about? Uh, I think that most of us, or all of us, I think I could probably reliably say, uh, have experienced anger at one point in our lives. Um, and it's something that we experience fairly frequently um, in different forms. It's that sudden rush of heartbeat, the tensing of muscles, right? Our reasonable thoughts quickly thrown away in favor of much more primal reactions. No, stop, bad, destroy. If you're like me, there are all sorts of things that can make you angry. Uh, to kind of continue in our, our spirit of sharing, I'd like to hear, obviously, you know, I'm not asking for an actual full-bodied confession, but I'd like to hear from, from you all what are the sorts of things that make you or just make people angry? What do we think? Number one, when the pastor asks us questions during the sermon. All right. <clears throat> Blocked, goals. Blocked goals in soccer, <laughs> in life. <laughs> Traffic. Traffic, goodness. Family issues. Oh, yes. <laughs> When technology doesn't work, awful. We, we love it when we love it, and then we feed it when, it when it doesn't work. What other things? Being misunderstood. Being misunderstood? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could go on, and I think we would probably, you know, we don't want to uh, make light of our sin, and that wasn't the point of that little exercise, but it's just to say that we all have different things that make us angry. And we could, we could just list them out, and it'd be a very long list. And actually, it would almost total up to nearly everything in our lives. <laughs> our parents can make us angry. Our children can make us angry. Other people's children can make us angry. <laughs> Too many pictures of other people's children on Facebook can make us angry. <clears throat> people who drive too quickly make me mad, but also people who drive too slow. It's like they've got nothing better to do than get in my way. A lot of us probably don't necessarily identify as an angry person, right? Some of us do, uh, but not many of us necessarily say that we're an angry person. But I would really encourage you not to excuse yourself from the problem of anger uh, too quickly. And your anger may not come out the same as other people's, right? And I think normally when we use that phrase, oh, they're an angry person, what we mean is they're likely to yell or scream or throw things or, you know, kind of burst out at somebody when something goes wrong. And that's true. When somebody does that, they are indeed an angry person. But that is not the only uh, way that anger works itself out um, in our relationships in our world. Counselor David Paulison outlines the forms that anger can take in his book, Good and Angry, which I cannot more highly recommend to you if you want to read and study more about this topic available to purchase from Amazon or to borrow from Pastor Ben. He talks about five different kinds of anger. Or maybe six, I lost count. But number one, irritability, which makes sense, right? Otherwise known as grumpiness, being touchy, right? Having a, a hair trigger temper, right? Irritability is an anger problem. Then we have arguing or quarrelsomeness. And this is when somebody takes every decision or every opinion that's shared or really even every statement of fact as an opportunity to prove the other person wrong or to prove yourself right. Quarrelsomeness is an anger problem. Then we have bitterness, right, which is the technical term 
for repeatedly rehearsing that epic final showdown with your boss or coworker or friend or whomever where you totally win and silence them forever with your razor sharp comebacks. Bitterness is anger held over a long period of time. Then there's obviously emotional, verbal, or physical violence, which is the most uh, immediately evil form of anger and what, again, we normally associate with, you know, they're an angry person. We've got passive anger or passive aggression, which is when you calmly remark about something that you're actually really upset about, but you won't deal with it directly. And finally, Pallison identifies self-righteous anger, which is similar to the first five, except that you claim that the law or the rules or the Lord himself agrees with you and justifies your anger about the issue. Church, we all have an anger problem, to differing degrees, certainly, right? Some of us really struggle against quick or ferocious tempers, and I'm one of those. One look at the news or the comment section of any website on the internet will confirm that tempers run high all across the country. We are an angry people, and we often don't know what to do with our anger besides hurt each other. The reality is, while our buttons are different, they all get pushed at one point or another. Anger is part of the fallen human condition. But the good news is that Jesus knows all about anger, and he shows us a different way to be angry. What I hope to share this morning is that while we cannot make ourselves stop experiencing anger, we can, by obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit, respond righteously in the midst of our anger. And that's our single-sentence sermon summary, if you're note-taking folks. Because Jesus is king, and there's a lot of R's, we respond righteously to our rage when we reflect and repent. We respond righteously to our rage when we reflect and repent. The last few weeks as we've been going through the season of Lent, our sermons have come out of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in those first couple of chapters of Matthew. And the Sermon on the Mount is sort of an inaugural address for the kingdom of God. When America has elected a new president, the first thing that that individual does after being sworn in, right, is he turns around and he gives a speech, right? He gives an inaugural address that outlines and sets the tone for their term in power, and so, similarly, what Jesus is doing here with the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of Matthew is outlining what his term and power, which is never-ending, will look like in the lives of his people. And it makes a whole lot of sense that anger is one of the first things that Jesus talks about. You can see that if you have your Bible open. He gives the Beatitudes, which we're familiar with. He talks a little bit about some other things. And then the first topic he gets to is anger. God's people have been angry since the very beginning of the story. Cain murders Abel in anger. Noah curses his son Ham in anger. Esau tries to hunt down Jacob in anger. Jacob's sons avenge their sister Dinah and slaughter a village in anger. Jacob's sons sell Joseph into slavery in anger. Potiphar then throws Joseph into prison in anger. And we haven't even made it out of Genesis. Jesus gives his people a new vision for what responding to anger looks like in his rule, in his kingdom. And that's the verses that we read. In verses 21 and 22, he takes the law that was given by Moses, you shall not murder, and he explains God's intent. 
And the law was given, obviously, to prevent murder, to protect human life. But Jesus is telling us that God is not only concerned with whether or not we kill each other, which he's obviously concerned about, but he's also concerned about the heart state that drives us to the action. Preventing murder does not heal or change the angry emotions that push people towards violence. And Jesus doesn't want his audience to congratulate themselves. They may have succeeded in not murdering, which then again, back then, maybe some of them had, but most of them had succeeded in not murdering, but they have certainly been angry with each other. And one of Jesus' key insights here is that anger is most often interpersonal, right? It involves a me and a you or a y'all. And even when it's not directly caused by another human, we will often carry our fury with the dog or the computer or the traffic into our next available relationship, whether that be our spouse or our coworkers or the new kid working the drive-through. Jesus says that anyone who gets angry with a brother or sister is liable to judgment. Anger is dangerous. But Jesus clarifies that it is our responses of anger, what we do with our anger, that brings the trouble. And there's a difference between our experience of anger and our response to the anger that we're experiencing. Anger, usually, is at root a rejection of some injustice or disorder. Right? So if somebody messes up your drink, you get angry, and way down deep underneath all that selfishness of, oh, me, I'm, why couldn't they get my drink right, right? There really is a rejection that they, they didn't do it right. There really was a disorder there. And so anger is at root a rejection of injustice or disorder, and in a perfect world, no one would ever get angry. They'd have no cause. And the experience of anger itself is not necessarily a sin, though it is always caused by sinfulness around us or within us. And we know this because Jesus gets angry a handful of times in the Gospels and is not wrong in doing so because he can both experience and respond to anger righteously. But we cannot. We can't really control our anger experience. And I will say, I think that there are many, many good Christian folks who have followed Jesus for a long time and they do get angry less often. And so I think as we grow up and mature in the faith, we really do, you know, our anger, uh, the incidence of our anger does actually decrease. But when something bad happens, let's say you're, you're rocketing along the interstate and somebody cuts in front of you, right, immediately, and it's not even your rational mind, right, it's your body, you get angry, right? You can't, you know, and I think that sometimes, oh, well, that was bad of me. No, I mean, kind of, you actually should have been angry, right? Like, you should have hit the brakes and, you know, and gotten away from that other car, We can't always control that chemical and biological process. But it is a second step to then, either verbally or in your head, call that guy an idiot. Right? Two steps. The anger and the response. And so while our experience of anger is caused by sinfulness, it's not always necessarily itself sinful. But our responses to anger nearly always are because that real godly rejection of injustice or disorder is buried under several layers of our selfishness. And sometimes there's only a moment, a literal moment, between our experience and our response to anger. Again, somebody cuts you off on the interstate. 
But I think that by the grace of God, Jesus can disrupt that chain reaction, even when it only takes a second to go from experience to response. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus says that reconciling with those whom we've wronged is of higher priority than our worship and our service. Let me say that again. Jesus says that reconciling with those we've wronged is of higher priority than our worship or our service. And throughout the Bible, the Lord makes it clear that our songs and sacrifices mean nothing and actually aggravate him when there is widespread injustice, infidelity, and wrecked relationships among his people. Right? We're faking it when that's the case, and he knows it. And our standing before God is connected to our reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. We are not saved by what we do, but part of what it means to be saved into Jesus' kingdom is that we seek reconciliation in relationships damaged by anger. Now notice that in verse 23, Jesus speaks of reconciliation when you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. He has in mind a moment when you acknowledge that you have wronged someone, not the other way around. Jesus knows all too well how much time we spend listing all the people we've got problems with. That's easy and costs us nothing but time. It is much more difficult. We don't want to list the people that we have wronged or done badly by. Jesus is saying reconciliation begins there. Either because you did something that made them angry or you're angry because of something they did. Either way, the relationship is broken. And to reconcile with another follower of Jesus means that we put Jesus first ahead of our personal rights being proven right or especially hurting the other person or making them pay for what they did. Someone already did pay for what they did. And he says that that work was finished on the cross. Your anger has no further claim upon them. Now, God does not expect all of us to be best friends. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. And he's also not telling us that we just need to forget when people wrong us or do these. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. There are earthly and sometimes legal consequences for the things we do to one another. Reconciliation does not mean not letting those consequences happen. But it does mean putting Jesus first before ourselves. God does expect us to seek reconciliation for Jesus' sake because he is the God who reconciles all things to himself. And finally, in verses 25 and 26, Jesus gives one example of how badly things can go if we allow anger to run its course and relationships to remain broken. In most circumstances, people are only taken to court after a vital component of relationship has broken down, or there was never a relationship to begin with where there should have been. In a greater way, there may be dire eternal consequences for our anger, since we are all on our way to stand before the judge. Brothers and sisters, it is better to be righteous in our anger before we meet him. Jesus tells us that anger is a dangerous thing, with both earthly and eternal consequences. He tells us that responding to our anger by verbally or physically harming the other person is wrong, and it displeases God. But we also know that anger is not something we can just wish away. So what do we do? Well, 
Because Jesus is king, we respond righteously to our rage when we reflect and we repent. Making the effort to reflect on your anger causes you to take a step back and hit the pause button when you become angry. Reflecting on anger will hopefully make it less likely for us to react in sin toward the other person. The Apostle James tells us to be slow to become angry. And Paul says in Ephesians, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. We will never conform our lives to this teaching if we cannot train ourselves to reflect on our anger. This is the foundational building block to living up to what God has for us. In the middle of your anger experience, or even after, I think it's good even, let's say, let's say you went ahead and yelled at, you know, whatever, the neighbor's kids, or you, you know what you yell at. Maybe you don't yell when I yell. You know? <laughs> let's say you've already done it. You've already done the thing that Jesus told you not to do. There's grace for that. But I think that even then it's profitable to take a step back and reflect why, right? When you realize you're irritated, when you want to prove them wrong, when you start to rehearse that brilliant final argument with your parents, when you open your mouth to passively aggressively comment, when your temper is about to erupt, when you're shaking with the injustice of it all, take a breath and ask yourself, why am I angry? Paulison recommends a few simple questions to ask in that moment. If, you know, once we get to the point where we can be mindful enough to ask them. Number one, when you get upset, what do you want? Right? What do you want in that moment when you get angry? Why does that thing matter so much to you? Number two, when you become angry, what do you believe about what has happened? What was the meaning of the interaction or the event? Number three, what are you afraid of? And fear is usually desire turned backwards, right? I do not want that to happen. Somebody cuts you off in the middle of the interstate, part of your anger response is fear, right? Because I don't want to die, or I don't want my family to die. And that's a good thing, by the way, but it's good to ask. What are we afraid of in those moments? And fourthly, what intentions guided the interaction? What's your goal? When you become bitter and can't shake it, what do you hope for? Like, what's the resolution to the end? If you could choose an ending, what is it? Reflecting on our anger will reveal the sinfulness wrapped up in our experience of anger, even when it's justified. And that leads to my second application. We respond righteously to our rage when we repent. Let's say you've taken some moments to reflect on your anger, and you really have been wronged. Your anger is justified. That's a good thing to know, right? Because then you have a basis to begin the work of reconciliation, like somebody really did do something bad or I did something bad to them. That's a good thing to know. But if it makes you feel blameless that your anger is justified, Jesus' words should make you pause. Anger is dangerous. It works quickly. And our motives are hardly ever purely righteous. In the moment, right, when I'm angry, I feel like I'm the most righteous person that's ever lived. Of course I'm right. 
Any one of you could look at me in that moment and go, oh, no, Ben, you're not. (laughs) Anger is dangerous. It works quickly, and our motives are hardly ever purely righteous. And so we must repent of our anger even when it is justified. God is the only one whose anger is always right. His wrathful opposition to our works of sin is a good thing and is born from his love for us. And because of his great love, God desires that no man or woman should perish and be separated from him. God's wrath is kindled against wickedness. But the good news is that Jesus bore the burden of our wrongful anger and sin. God opposed human evil in the physical human flesh of Jesus rather than ours. Jesus had wronged no one. He is the only innocent human Yet it was him, and not you, who was made liable before the Sanhedrin council. It was him, and not you, who was called worthless, blasphemer, and fool. The very sins and crimes Jesus was accused of were committed against him, and he died on behalf of his accusers. Jesus was the one murdered. He offered himself as the gift upon the altar, so that his brothers and sisters, you you, you and me could be reconciled to the Father and face his judgment with confidence, knowing that we belong to him because of what Jesus has done. And so I urge you, church, deal with your anger righteously and repent. Turn from your way of doing things and responding to things and give the anger, give the outcome, give the cause to Jesus. I want to tell you one last anger story and then we'll be done. A week or so back, I ordered a book from Amazon, as is a regular habit of mine, and was eagerly awaiting its arrival. On the day after this book was scheduled to arrive, I started working on this sermon, which was good because I was angry about the book being late. And around midday, I thought to myself that perhaps our postal lady had left the book down in the mailbox. And so I and one of our dogs took the 10-minute walk, it's a long driveway, took the 10-minute walk to check the mailbox. There was no book, and my anger increased. After the dog and I had walked halfway back up to the house, I heard the snarl of a big engine, and here comes the UPS truck. My anger decreased. Finally, my book had arrived, and the dog and I saluted the truck as he drove by, And he dropped the package off by the time we had made it back up to the house. So the UPS guy zooms off into the sunset, and I look down and discover not a book-shaped box on the doorstep, but a boxed cookie arrangement for my sister, who is recovering from surgery. I was so angry that it wasn't my book (laughs) that I ripped open the box and ate one of her cookies. (laughs) Would you like to know what book it was? Good and angry. Redeeming anger, irritation, bitterness, and complaining. I tell you that in order to affirm that we are all on a journey with the Lord to learn how to respond to anger righteously. Nothing we've talked about this morning is easy. And Jesus knows that. Anger is like a fire hose. It's very difficult to control once it gets going. 
but by God's grace, it is possible to reflect, repent, and be righteous even though we're angry. And God will be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good day. Lord, we do confess that we are angry people, and so it is so easy for our anger to be kindled against each other or against the different things in our life, Lord, and even against you. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would have mercy on us in the midst of our anger. Lord, that you would convict us of those times where we may not think we're angry, but in fact we are. Lord, help us to see and to reflect on our anger, to repent of the ways that we're sinful, Lord, and to seek reconciliation when we can. In Jesus' name, amen.